But I now think those fucking things, those fucking pies, are so stupid. Firstly, it's not two fucking colours. Mm. Secondly, there is no pie. Mm. And what do you, what, what, what time frame does this pie have? Mm. I think about, I mean, like, a part of me is always aware of the pie. Of course. The pink and blue pie. And I hope to banish the pie. The pie shouldn't exist. The pie is not a thing. And welcome back to Life of Pi. I mean, bye. <laughs> I'm Elle Potter. And I'm Mary Higgins. In this episode, we're working out how to measure a gay. Many have tried before. Many have died trying. Fingers crossed, that doesn't happen today. As we briefly touched on in episode one. Wow, remember episode one? <laughs> how far <laughs> we have come. Well, in episode one, we talked about in the late 1800s, how a group of white men were trying to classify sexuality and gender as men like Kraft Ebbing and Havelock Ellis, you know, they were the guys who came up with the term bisexual, living its new unhyphenated life. You know, they tried their best, bless them, but they fucked it up. <laughs> then Alfred Kinsey came along in the 1930s with his brainchild, the Kinsey Scale, yes. which you might have heard of. It basically measures sexuality based on past sexual experiences and then assigns you a number. So zero is straight, six is gay, and bisexual is three. Woo-hoo. And that's a magic number. <laughs> There's also a Kinsey film in 2004 starring, starring Liam Neeson. Neeson. I nearly said in case Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> it's rubbish. Don't it, watch. Then in 1980, we had the Klein Sexual Orientation Grid, which measures sexuality based on your past and present experiences and also your future fantasies, which is a bit better because it's not just based on who you have fucked. Yeah, and in 2021, we have the pie sexuality charts that roam social media every bisexual awareness day, where your attraction to men is in blue and your attraction to women is in pink, and there are no other genders. And that's what we were talking about at the top of the show, those those little fucking pies. (laughs) The one I like least... um, she has the six little pie charts with different ratios. So some of them are like almost entirely blue with a little sliver of pink or the other way around. And the point is, it's like all bisexual. You don't have to just be 50-50, which is true. You don't have to be equally attracted to all genders in order to be bi. But it's still very annoying. Yes, because you're still looking at sexuality as a statistic. It's mm-hmm. just very numerical and reductive. And the worst part is, even though we hate the pie, we still think about the pie. Yeah, whenever I felt unstable about my queerness, I have like genuinely written down the people I've had sex with and been like, oh yeah, good ratios, still by. <laughs> tick, tick. How In sad fact, is that? <laughs> we spoke about this just the other day. Yes, we did. So I had to have a you. whole girlfriend. Not that you were a half girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I had to have a whole... It's like... I mean, nothing really could cement your feeling. Like, I remember feeling like I'd made it. And it was so like, to, yeah. I, in, I was like, here I am. This is my full lesbian being. I'm dating a like punky, sometimes butchy, visibly, 28 year old. Visibly queer. And when we go around, people shout abuse at us. <laughs> and the right. bit of me was like, 
Yes! yes! Here I am! I'm like, I'm not pretending. I like know something about this now. Yes, I think there's still a part of me that when you say a half, you know, not that you're a half girlfriend, and we're like, were we girlfriends? I'm like, well, I hope we were because I haven't had any other long term, not that that was even long term, but our friendship is relationship with a woman. I've like dated, but so I kind of hold onto that. I mean, it's a, it's, it goes back to the like proving your own queerness yes. thing with like, you know. All our shows are about it and stuff like that. But that's, to me, there's something even now that's like sadistically satisfied to hear you say that because at the time you did not want to be my girlfriend. I know. You did not want it in any way. I know. So now the fact that in retrospect that experience has like value for you, even as like a number on a chart that shouldn't exist, <laughs> makes me sort of say yes for past wow. Mary. Wow. Like it fills me with like, yeah, a sort of um, like a ratty joy. Vind- like vindication. <laughs> vindication. Yeah. It is hilarious, but also sort of tragic <laughs> that like <laughs> you want me to be your ex-girlfriend so I can count on your pie chart, even though you didn't actually actually want to be my girlfriend at the time yeah i think mostly tragic <laughs> yeah, i think i agree i was but... being nice <laughs> <laughs> like, ha, ha, that is so funny <laughs> it's also interesting though that we both cling to the fact that we've had girlfriends yes because when you're bi your first sexual experiences are often with i mean to say it in binary terms the opposite sex because society so after that it feels like you're always playing catch up in order to earn the bisexual title right and like by that logic being with cis men feels like a step backwards because like in your well in my early 20s when I was having my first sort of queer sexual experiences that felt like such a huge step forwards like I was stepping into the real me like I was growing up yeah that then inevitably it's difficult to not then think of having a boyfriend as going backwards yeah like a kind of regression Mm. and then so there's the fear that your more femme-filled times were just a phase. So like Havelock Ellis thought that everyone is bisexual when they're young nice. and then we all outgrow it during adolescence, mm. which I guess just makes us, if nothing else, just very late developers. Yeah, I, I don't think I much like Havelock. No, he can get in a bin. <laughs> and he's wrong. I actually found this scientific report from 2001, which... Uh, mm puts Havelock in the bin, where a bunch of bisexuals were interviewed in 1983, 1988 and 1996. And they found that with age, the bisexuals became more certain of their orientation because they were reviewing their lives rather than just basing it on like the right now. Well, what a relief. Yeah. Yeah. Well, semi, semi relief, but also like, I don't want to wait until I'm old and grey. Yeah. You know, I want certainty now. What do we want? Certainty. When do we want it? We don't know. <laughs> I, I also think hunting for certainty is like the opposite of queer. Yeah, you're so right. So I guess maybe the answer or like the mantra is just fluidity forever. Mm. But how fluid can we be when we're in monogamous relationships? Trust your heart. If you're monogamous, it's, that's a, that is a relationship choice. That's who you are. This is Lani Ka'ahumanu. Respect it. Respect yourself. And um, 
I know what's really hard about monogamy is then all of a sudden there's an assumption because you're defined by your partner. You're not an individual. You lose your individual sense of, uh, and you have to keep coming out. And that I think is the hardest part for a monogamous person. Lani is known as the mother of the bisexual movement. You'll find out why later. And she's a literal bisexual grandmother, as in she's a bisexual, her daughter's bisexual, and her daughter has a daughter. Who, we can only assume, will also be bisexual. We asked her if she had any advice for bisexuals in monogamous relationships. And Lani was exactly who we needed to talk to. You always be honest with yourself and with whomever you're with. And trust monogamy is is a choice it's uh it's a valid choice it's just it's about love and loving yourself and respecting yourself and that i recognize that it's very hard to be monogamous and and that you have to come out that's the work i think of monogamy for the next part of this episode we're basically just going to let lani tell you her life story yeah because stories let's face it are so much better than statistics you can't plot a life like lani's on klein's sexual orientation grid oh no or cut it into slices of pie so we'll start from the beginning or near the beginning in the 60s when lani got married i married the captain of the football team so we got married very young very very young 19 we met when i just turned 16 so, you know, in five years, I'm 24 years old. I have two children. He teaches at the high school where we met. I mean, talk about weird in the 60s, too. But, you know, it was fairy tale, but I was crying all the time. I was I couldn't figure it out. I did everything I could possibly do to make it work. But it didn't work. And then Lani's husband did an amazing thing. It was like. He basically told me, I know why you're crying all the time. You need to leave. You've never had a life of your own. And it was like a light turning on in my head. So off she goes. Lani leaves her family and she starts going to college. These classes that were like, oh, this is making total sense out of my life. Good grief. It gave me a framework. It gave me language. It, and sitting in classes was interesting for me because I am not an academic. I haven't read anything. I was the first person in my family to go to college. So I didn't know a Marxist feminist from a cultural feminist, from a social feminist, you know, like it was all twirling around me, but I knew I was taking it in and felt at home with a movement in that rush. I came out as a lesbian um, in 1976, oh my God, you know, there's cheering sections. Everybody's saying, yes, come out. Lani comes out as a lesbian. She marches with lesbian mothers in the San Francisco Pride Parade, chanting, two, four, six, eight. Are you sure your mother's straight? And then a few years later, Lani starts working at a new age holiday resort. They had Tai Chi weekends and running weekends and rebirthing weekends and everything you can have, drama camp, kids camp. And I became the out lesbian chef and it took care of my burnout like nobody's business. And I had radical women's posters all over the kitchen and I greeted everybody and it was fabulous. Lani works hard, she saves up, then heads off to Hawaii for eight months. Lani's mother was born in Japan and raised in Hawaii. But then she comes back and does her second season at the resort. So she's back in the kitchen, surrounded by lesbian posters. And this young man came hitchhiking through to, and was looking for a place for the summer. Everybody there had to work in the kitchen and do karma yoga. So he joined, you know, he goes, okay, 
blah, blah. And then he saw the feminist posters and he said, have you ever read Of Woman Born? Which was the most and still is radical book on the institution of motherhood. Of Woman Born is by Adrian Rich. It was published in 1976, the year Lani came out as a lesbian, and it challenges the capitalist division of labour that expects mothers to do basically all the child rearing. And I just look at him, and I'm hungry to talk to feminists, right? And I say, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> he goes, great, when I come in to help you in the kitchen at 3.30 this afternoon, let's talk about it. And I was kind of blown out, like, what the hell? I wanted to talk to somebody, but would it be the, a young man? For me? No. <laughs> I, I know those guys, they sort of walk around university. How bloody dare they? <laughs> they wear long coats. How dare they? <laughs> Mansplain feminism. It's just very boring, isn't it? Yeah, Don't they, give them the time of day. They sit in a pub reading a book. Get a life, guys. <laughs> Stop but it. That's 2021, right? I mean, I guess if a guy calls himself a feminist in the 1970s, you might be a little bit more likely to believe him. I said I'm a lesbian. He goes, if you're with me, you're not a lesbian. You're a bisexual. Because he identified as a bisexual, um, anti-sexist man, feminist. So feminism is a global philosophy. And here I am looking at this. He was, I was 36. He was uh, 21. Legend. Anyway, so uh, within a week, uh, I'm still calling myself a lesbian. But we started talking bisexual feminist revolution. I am so not kidding you. I, I talked to him sometime. I said, are you sure we really did that? He goes, oh, yeah, right away. Because he had read every feminist book I had ever read. It, it was like the real deal. And I, I felt myself falling in love with him. But they had to keep it secret from everyone else at the camp so that people wouldn't get the wrong idea about lesbians. Because I was falling in love with a man and that said every stereotype that, oh, all she needs is a good, you know, basically lesbians, you know, that's all. But then Lani and her lover left the camp. Uh, it was 1980. I came back to San Francisco to my women's lesbian community, quite a few separatists. And um, it was pretty rough. But in my mind, I belonged here. This was my family. This was my home. And they weren't going to kick me out. And so in the 80s, it was like, here I am looking around and all these lesbians, you know, going, oh, brother, I can't even, I can't even <laughs> trust you not to bring your boyfriend to the party so you're not invited to the party. Well, come on, you guys, you know, you think you have sex with a man and all of a sudden, you know, all your woman identity and your feminism, everything, you spring a leak, you know, and you're going to forget that you're going to bring a man to a lesbian party. I don't think so. Lani tells this story about the time that she was hanging out with a few lesbians, mm -hmm. lesbian separatists to be specific. And one of them had a Labrador who everyone called a lesbian too because she was constantly sniffing everyone's vaginas. Right. <laughs> and this dog owning lesbian said to Lani, well, no, she didn't even just say it to Lani. She stood up and announced to the whole room, my dog is no longer interested in sniffing your, quote, tainted crotch. Oh, God, isn't that <laughs> it's quite it's quite funny that that woman thought her dog had that much um, lesbian radical lesbian power. power. <laughs> yeah, like the ability to tell. Like, Come to on, woman. Yeah. Psychic dog. God, it must have been shit because the whole time that Lani and her lover were being ostracised by the lesbian and gay community, Lani was also having members of that same community privately coming out to her as bisexual, saying... Can 
I talk to you about this? You're really brave to be so open, but I could never do that. I'd lose my friends. I, you know, everything I was going through, they didn't want to do it. So uh, there was a community within that community that didn't have my back, but I knew they were there. And I knew eventually uh, people would come out. And it was pretty yeah. rough for a long time. But as lonely as the silence was, it just made Lani more determined to fight for bi pride. And so Lani starts writing. She starts writing about bisexuality. In 1982, she publishes her first article in a local lesbian newspaper. It's called Biphobic. Some of my best friends are. Then, in 1983, Lani and her lover organised Bipol for bi-visibility because, among other things, the AIDS crisis is looming and no one is counting the bisexuals. In fact, AIDS took the lives of two Bipol founding members, Alan Rockway and David Lurier. So Lani fought harder. She co-founded the Bay Area Bisexual Network and in 1991 co-edited By Any Other Name, Bisexual People Speak Out, a bi-bible which is still known as one of the seminal books in the history of the modern bisexual rights movement. And then Lani took on arguably her most impressive feat yet. She organised a 12-city endorsement campaign to have bisexual included in the 1993 March on Washington. Which, thanks to Lani, became known as the March on Washington for Lesbian gay and by equal rights and liberation. They were forced to drop the sexual. Lani also campaigned for trans people to be involved in the title, but they didn't get the two-thirds majority needed to pass it. And Lani's not happy. But it's the 25th of April 1993 and the day has come. A million people attend the march, making it one of the largest protests in American history. The crowd stretch from the stage at the Capitol all the way down the National Mall to the Washington Monument. It's a sea of flags and chanting. People are chanting for their lives. And out of the 18 speakers that day, Lani is the only bisexual. She's the first ever bisexual speaker. She's the last to go on stage. And they ask her to cut her speech. It was like, fuck you. I was just like, no way. I, I was, I ju- it just hit something in me because I knew how many bisexuals were out there? There was over a thousand in the contingent. They were sprinkled everywhere. We had been on the ground. We helped build this, this incredible experience for everybody. There's a million people. And what? And it was a major stage. And you get up there, and I'm standing at the top, and I knew all these lesbians, all the people. I mean, I... I've been networked with them since the 80s. And um, they said, you have to cut your introduction. You have two sentences. You have to cut it to one. They're going to cut the time. They're going to turn the sound off on the mic. I was like, come on. They had already collapsed the media tent that all speakers went to. Okay. They're disassembling the stage behind me. And I, something, you know, as I went up each stair, I, I just got fuller and fuller myself and I felt everybody inside me. I don't, that's just, I was just, by then I was like, uh-uh, sorry. It sounds so corny, but it's so true. I just felt so much love for all the bisexual people there and the transgender people and all the people that weren't represented. And I just felt like I was channeling. I was channeling all that energy. 
please welcome Lani Ka'ahumanu. Aloha! I just want to say that it ain't over till a bisexual speaks. I am a token and a symbol. Today there is no difference. I am the token out bisexual invited to speak and I am a symbol of how powerful the bisexual pride movement is and how far we have come. I stand here today on the stage of the 1993 March on Washington for lesbian, gay, and bisexual equal rights and liberation. Are we visible yet? Are bisexuals organized yet? Are we accountable yet? You bet your sweet ass we are. Bisexuals are here and we're queer. Bisexual pride speaks to the truth of behavior and identity. No simple either or divisions. Fluid, ambiguous, subversive. Bisexual pride challenges both the heterosexual and the homosexual assumption. Society is based on the denial of diversity, on the denial of complexity. Like multiculturalism, mixed heritage, and biracial relationships, both the bisexual and transgender movements expose and politicize the middle ground. Each show there is no separation, that each and every one of us is part of a fluid social sexual and gender dynamic. Remember today, remember we are family and like a large extended family, we don't always agree, don't always see eye to eye. Who gains when we ostracize whole parts of our family? Who gains from exclusionary politics? Certainly not us. Being treated as if I am less oppressed than thou is not only insulting, it feeds right into the hands of the right-wing fundamentalists who see all of us as queer. What is the sexual liberation movement about if not about the freedom to love whom we choose? I want to encourage bisexuals in the lesbian, gay, and heterosexual communities to take pride. Take pride in who you are and come out now. Remember, there is nothing wrong with love. Defend the freedom to express it. Remember, we have every right to be in the world exactly as we are. Celebrate that simply and fiercely. I love you. Mahalo and aloha. Thank you. Before we found the footage of Lani at the march, we'd only ever read her arguments, hadn't we? And we'd like read about her activism. But then we found the footage of her actually doing it, like shouting for it. Yeah. And I have to say that listening to it for the first time, we just sat there and yeah, we just had tears streaming down our faces. <laughs> In silence. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it was a huge, I think it was a huge surprise to us because like, I mean, at least for me, I don't think I've ever heard someone in my life talk about bisexuality, mm. like actually shout about, about bisexuality 
with so much pride. Have mm, you? No, no, absolutely not. It it completely knocked me for six because it's like she's speaking in the 90s, but everything she's saying is still true. Mm. She could be saying it now. And when she says, remember, there is nothing wrong with love. I'm like, yes, I really didn't yeah. realise how much I needed to hear that. Yeah, well, we still need reminding of it, don't we? And like particularly now because, you know, we we do feel or at least have felt that that there is something wrong with loving a cis man. Mm. I mean, I call my boyfriend my partner and I've never called, you know, I've always called my girlfriend my girlfriend. Yeah. And my nickname for Andrew is Annie, yes. which is traditionally a girl's name. Yeah. And so like both of those are semi-conscious efforts to like conceal their gender for a couple of moments more. And we both call our relationships queer um, without thinking twice about it. Mm. Without actually consulting our boyfriends, partners, colleagues. How hot is it? I can't believe you're going to record the bit of me dipping my balls into the scalding hot water. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Make Elle transcribe it. Is it oh, turn it's, time? It's, turn it's, oh, off? God, it's hot. Okay, okay, okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. I turn it off, yes? That was me talking to my colleague, Eros, in the bath. And this is me talking to my colleague, Andrew, not in the bath. Um, a very long bath, like a flu. <laughs> You're about, what, 60 miles away, zooming the flu. <laughs> um, okay. Would you consider our relationship straight? Um... I guess there is a, the, the the sort of interesting part of that is the fact that you are queer, I'm not queer. So it's a, it's a funny one of where does the concession fall on which side? Mm. Because is it a straight presenting relationship and therefore you feel left out because it doesn't correctly address your identity? Or is it a queer relationship? And then the issue becomes, I don't know, is it a thing of that would be me co-opting an identity which is not mine? Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where I'm quite happy to just not think about it because it really doesn't bother me at all. So why does it bother us? What an eloquent boy. You know, why didn't we think of that? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously we can't decide for them, for <laughs> yeah. God's sake. Yeah, we're not missionaries. Who do you think we are? <laughs> what did uh, uh, what did Eros say? The interesting thing with your bisexuality is it makes a lot of these classifications feel sort of like that Schrodinger's cat thing where it's like a cat in a box that is, like, simultaneously alive or dead because until you open the box, you know what state it's in. So, like, I would consider our relationship, I guess, could be either. Could be straight or not. It's the cat. <laughs> it could be straight or, or not straight. Mm-hmm. Depending on how you look at it. Mm-hmm. What about from inside it? Just because like ours. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah, he is. Mm. But in a weird way, you know, they're just not, they're just not bothered about it. Yeah. Which a part of me is like, well, that would be less stressful. Why didn't we, <laughs> why didn't we think of that as an yeah, approach? Revolutionary. Yeah. On the other hand, though, it's not. It's kind of a, it's a 
privileged to not yeah have to worry about it yeah i think it is very queer to be confused and it's easy to simplify things when you haven't looked at them in the fine (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. um but schrodinger's cat though is a real it's a good image yeah it's actually because it's sort of content in the not knowing it's both dead and alive yeah and both queer and not queer and everything in between, it's actually not binary that because anything could be in that box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which means it's impossible to scoreboard. Like it's impossible to make it into a number on a pie chart. Yeah, absolutely. Because like those pie charts are all about gender and they're all about counting up your like body count, like who you've conquered. They're not about relationships. They're not about a person. Yeah, the space between two people, which like can be its own thing. And that's what Lani's talking about. She's talking about love, not numbers. Next time on Life of Bi. I was not a huge Trekkie before I started working in Star Trek. In these threads, they, they, they must be connected to your memories. I know you're afraid, but you have to let them connect with you. Basically, when people pass on on the trail planet, when people die, they sort of, their consciousness goes into a symbiont. Thus, we have not a third but one space that incorporates the concepts of two, one, and three. I'm blown away. That's bisexuality. That's bisexuality. I just want to say... It ain't over till the bisexual...